Well, it is great to be back with you this evening. Um, If you have your Bibles, if you're able to open them at Mark chapter 12 uh, and verses uh, 28 to 31, and it will be up on the screen as well. I've set it up in the PowerPoint there. Um, And so we're just going to take some time to really uh, try and understand uh, what this passage is all about, how it applies to our lives, um, how it can make a difference, how it can bring about transformation in the different relationships that we have. And there are uh, two clear commandments uh, within this passage. Uh, As you look at what Jesus says uh, in verses 28 through to 31, he calls us to love the Lord our God with our absolute everything, with with all that we are. Um, Our entire being should be given over to loving God. But he also calls us to love our neighbour as much as we love ourselves. These are two very clear commands within this passage. And these two commandments are inextricably linked together. In order for us to love God with all that we are, and we need to also be a people who love other people, who seek the welfare and the blessing of others. No matter whether they are friend or they are foe, no matter what type of person it is within our society, God calls us to love all people irrespective of circumstance. The question I've been asking um, this week uh, is what would it look like to live out these two commandments with all that we are day to day? It's quite a challenge when you think about it, just the the challenge of loving God with your everything everything, and loving your neighbour as much as you love yourself. What would it look like to live out these two commandments? You know, when it comes to love, And when it comes to these two commandments, there is a danger that we can almost oversimplify love and what it means. You know, one of the the kind of common understandings of what love is, is this, love is a verb. A lot of people say that. Love is a doing word. And don't get me wrong, love is definitely something that we do. It has to demonstrate itself in our actions. But there's so much more to what love is. And we'll see this later on. As we look at our passage, the other danger is when it comes to love, we can so often overcomplicate what love is. When we think of all the different definitions of love, um, it's quite incredible when you think about it. You know, you you talk about people who, who have a love for one another. A man and a woman love one another and they get married. But you also get individuals who have a great love for Krispy Kreme donuts or for Loch Lomond, or for the Beatles. This one word has so many different definitions. We can so easily overcomplicate what it means, and we can become so easily confused by what it means. How can love so often be so many different things, and all at the same time? The most commonly asked question in Google for the last 10 years is, what is love? It's fascinating when you think about that. So many people are asking a question, what is love? Many people are longing for fulfillment and satisfaction and meaning in their life. And it's very clear that there's many people are not finding this fulfillment and meaning in the different things that surround their lives. And so they're going to Google and they're asking a question, what is love? To give us clarity in all of this, I would recommend you read C.S. Lewis's The Four Loves. And in this book, Lewis highlights what Greek philosophy understood to be four different kinds of love. And we're going to briefly look at these together. 
And hopefully this will give us an understanding of, of what love is all about. It will give us a, a clearer vision and picture as to what love is. So you'll see it up in the screen. First off, uh, there's Storge. I don't know if I've pronounced that right, but I'm going to say it like that. Storge. It's also known as affectionate love. For example, the love and affection a parent has for a child. And it can also relate to the affection we have for things and places. The second love that we have is philia, which could also be understood to be friendship love. It's a strong bond that exists between people who have common values, interests and relationships. Thirdly, there is eros, which is understood to be romantic love. So this is a notion of being in love or or loving someone. And finally, agape, which many believe to be sacrificial love. And this is a love that exists regardless of a change in circumstances. It's unconditional. It's the one that Lewis and many others believe to be at the very heart of the Christian faith. This concept, this amazing reality of sacrificial love. So hopefully this gives us a a clearer picture as to what love is all about. Tonight our focus is going to be in the last of these, the agape love. The one that Lewis and many others regard as the most powerful. The one regarded as the most important. The one that's at the very heart of the Christian faith. Unconditional, sacrificial love. Surely that's what Jesus means when he says, Love the Lord your God with all that you are, with your absolute everything. Surely this is what he means when he says, Love your neighbour as yourself. You see, we understand this love to be both a noun and a verb. It's something that God does inside our hearts. It's some, some transformation takes place in our lives. And it then results in action. See, love is not just a verb. Love is both a noun and a verb. If love was only ever a verb, then why, why would Paul say in 1 Corinthians 13, in verse 3, If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. You see, Paul demonstrates in this little verse that love really is an inward motivation that leads to this outward action, this evidence of love in your life by what you say and by what you do. I love John Piper's definition of love, which really echoes all that we read in this subject in the Bible. Piper says this, Love is the overflow of joy in God that gladly meets the needs of others. I just love that quote. I could read that quote every day. Love is the overflow of joy in God. The overflow. You have a a joy and a satisfaction in God. And it then gladly meets the needs of other people. And that's so true. When you experience a joy in God, it should always, always, always lead to you being a blessing to other people in your lives. It just makes sense. Love is both a noun and a verb. You know, when I think about love being both a noun and a verb, and when I think about this, this passage, I have a picture of a, a child wanting to help out his wee brother. Uh, and this, this wee boy is wanting to help his wee brother out of a desire to, to help his wee brother. He wants to bless him, he wants to encourage him in some way. But he's also conscious of the fact that his parents are watching him. And he wants to please his mum and his dad. And so there is this horizontal dimension to the love that he expresses. He sees that his parents are watching him. 
but there's also that horizontal, that, sorry, there's this vertical dimension, but there's also that horizontal dimension. He seeks to be a blessing to his sibling. Four words, um, in light of all of us, I want us just to, to think about four different words uh, that I believe are directly connected uh, to this kind of love. And we're going to just take some time to look at these words. And each word represents just a different way in which God loves each one of us. And when we truly get this, when we truly understand what this kind of love is, I honestly believe it will cause us to love our people in the same way. When we come to terms with God's love for us, then there will be evidence of that kind of love towards other people. The horizontal relationships that we have with others are a reflection of a vertical relationship that we have with God. So let's just take some time to look at these four words which really really represent four different ways in which God demonstrates this agape love. And the first word that we're going to think about is grace. You know, we see God's agape love towards us most powerfully displayed when we understand the concept of grace. When we realize the extent to which we don't deserve this kind of love. See, when we understand what grace is, we realize the extent to which we do not deserve this kind of love. So Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, in verses 6 to 8, about how it is this love applies to our own lives as we see it in light of the gospel. And so Paul says this, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know how difficult it is for people today to understand what sin is. People have defined sin as the very worst of acts. But people have also redefined sin. People like to do certain sins in their life. And so they'll quite happily and quite easily take certain actions and motivations out of that category that is known as sin in order that they can live a life that is pleasing to themselves. It's really the work of the Holy Spirit that convicts us of sin. You know, I could spend all night tonight explaining all the different ways in which we have the potential to sin in our lives. And it could all just bounce off your head. There's every chance that you wouldn't truly process it and understand it with all that you are. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. It is God who convicts us of sin. And when we understand the extent of our sin, and we understand the depth of our sin as well, only then can we change. And only then can we realise that we need help. You know, the amazing truth is that God sees us as sinners. He sees all the different ways in which we sin. But he still loves us anyway. This is why Paul writes in Romans, God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, God loves Mark Morris in spite of who he is and what he has done, past, present and future. See, I'm undeserving of God's grace. But I'm also ill-deserving of God's grace. It's the exact opposite. I deserve God's wrath and judgment in my life. 
So when I understand just the extent to which I'm a sinner, and I also understand the extent to which God responds with grace and with love, that leads to gratitude and thanksgiving in my life. I suddenly see the extent of God's grace, and it causes me to worship Him. You know, when I'm thankful towards God for all that He's done for me, I'm also thankful towards other people in my life. And when I understand the grace that God has shown me, I also want to show grace towards other people when they hurt me, when they sin against me in my life. You know, maybe someone comes to mind right now, someone who has hurt you in your life, a person who's maybe said something or did something, and it's caused some sort of damage in your heart. It's something that you're holding on to. It's it's a baggage that you're, you're bearing in your life. How do you respond in those moments? It's so easy for us just to to replay conversations or moments in our lives over and over again in our heads. Yet God calls us to remember his grace, to see the extent to which he showed his mercy in light of our sin. When we have that understanding, then it should cause us to show grace towards our brothers and sisters. Grace is the story of a a guy playing basketball. uh, And he was playing basketball in a pretty competitive league. And this is a guy who understood the concept of grace. This is someone who was a believer. Uh, And he was playing for this team. And during this this game he was playing in, he found himself getting into a number of different tussles with one particular guy. And he found these tussles just becoming more and more frequent and becoming more and more intense. And it got to a point towards the end of the game that he found himself just pushing this guy, and the guy pushed back, and so he just fully pushed him in the chest. The guy turned round and smacked him in the eye, gave him a black eye. Both players were sent off. One guy was sent off, and everyone had to go off just to get medical treatment. So this believer was carrying this black eye and everyone was asking him questions about what happened and he was carrying this bitterness and this anger and he found himself in a pub a couple of weeks later and as he was walking through the pub it was on a Saturday night it was very busy he was completely unaware that the guy who had smacked him in the face and gave him the black eye was also in the pub as well and the providence of God resulted in both individuals face to face with one another in this busy pub. And the guy who smacked him in the eye was bracing himself for some sort of reaction from the other guy. But the guy just raised his hand and said to him, no hard feelings, can I buy you a drink? The guy couldn't process this, he couldn't understand what he was up to, why was he doing this? And he was able to sit down with this guy and have this drink with him And he was able to explain the truth of the gospel. The grace that had been shown him was now demonstrated in this moment, in this opportunity that he had to have a drink with this new friend of his. See, that's grace. That guy didn't deserve to be sat down with that other chap. And yet he sought to bless him. He sought to speak to him. He sought to share the gospel with him. 
our grace to others must always in some way be a picture of the gospel. And it must always be out of a love for the person. Vertical grace always leads to horizontal grace. So that's the first way in which we can, we can understand this idea of, of agape love. Number one, grace. And number two is generosity. When we try and understand what it means to love our neighbor as yourself, we need to understand that it's not exclu- exclusively about grace. It's also about generosity. And when we speak of generosity, we're underlining the greatness of the price paid in order to love that person. Let me just say that again. When we speak of generosity, we're underlining the greatness of the price paid in order to love that person. The apostle, John is often regarded as the apostle of love. And this is what he records Jesus saying in John chapter 15 and in verses 12 to 13. Jesus says this, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So there really is no greater love than giving up your life for someone else. And Jesus says these words to us here, in order that we may also love in that way. That's quite a challenge when you think about it. Jesus gave up his very life for each one of us. And he calls us to love in the exact same way. Who loves you the way that Jesus loves you? When you think of the sacrifice he made for you, is there anyone in your life who would demonstrate that kind of love towards you? Jesus is incredible in the way in which he demonstrates his love for each one of us. Have you come to terms with the measure of God's generosity towards you? You know, it really is so easy for us to say to people, Jesus died for you, and not realise just how costly that was for him. Not to take in the full significance of those words. That one sentence has so much behind it. There's just so much content within the words, Jesus died for you. As you read the Gospels, you really do see how costly it was for Jesus to die for our sins. The ordeal that he went through in order that we might be made right with God. So as we read of Jesus' last moments before his crucifixion, we read of him being in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's there that he is literally sweating drops of blood as he is anticipating all that he had to go through. In that moment alone, we get a glimpse of how costly it would be for Jesus. But that's really just the starting point for us in the Gospels. As you continue to read on in the Gospels, you see all that Jesus goes through, leading to his death. And it's just a reminder for us tonight, God is so generous towards us. So let me just share some of the things that Jesus went through, which really helps us to see the extent of his generosity. He was arrested. He was put on trial. He was falsely accused. He was condemned to death. He was spat on in the face. He was punched in the face. He was slapped in the face. He was mocked. He was ridiculed. He was flogged, meaning that he was beaten with a whip that had lead tips on the end of him. 
cutting into his skin. He was stripped naked. He was given a scarlet robe and a crown of thorns. He was made to carry his own cross to the place where he would die. He fell under the weight of this heavy cross. His physical body was literally nailed to that cross. His hands and his feet were driven into the wood. He was lifted up in the cross with his body literally hanging off the cross. Jesus, as he was on the cross, was ridiculed. Jesus on the cross was slandered as his body was gasping for air. Jesus died on the cross for each one of us. As you see the price that was paid for each one of us, I hope you see just the extent of God's generosity towards us. And I don't know about you, but my heart echoes the words of that well-known worship song that says, I will never know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross. See what generous love God shows us. And it leads to a generous life. You know, I could constantly hit home the truth. Be generous, be generous, be generous. But it's never going to work. You know, you need to have a picture of God's generosity for you. And that will result in you being generous towards other people. Are you looking for opportunities to show generosity towards other people? So that's the second way, generosity. The third way is we think about what it means to love our neighbour as ourselves, we need to understand all of that in terms of the goodness, number three, the goodness that is shown to others. And in particular, it's the greatness of the good that God has shown us. And that should flow into the greatness of the good that we show towards other people. So Jesus says in John 3.16, a well-known verse, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God shows his goodness towards us, and that he gives to us eternal life. What an amazing gift. And we understand from the rest of scripture, eternal life is a relationship with God. One in which we can turn to God in any moment of our lives. Do we grasp, do we understand all that God has given to us? All the blessings that he has provided for us. If you're not sure about this, I would encourage you in your week to read Ephesians chapter 1 in verses 3 to 14. And just take a moment to see all that God gives to us because of his son Jesus. We see the extent of his goodness. And I'm just going to read this passage so that we can see. And I've really just underlined the key parts in this passage which really highlight God's goodness towards us. So in Ephesians 1, Paul says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption, We are adopted as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption. We have redemption through his blood, 
the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us. You know, lavished is really a a picture of God's goodness and it is also a picture of God's generosity. He lavished it upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance. There is a guarantee for us in heaven, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That means we can never lose our salvation. We can never lose the eternal life that God has given to us. And he is a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Amen. Amen. Yeah. God has given us so much through Jesus and my prayer is we don't hear these gospel phrases so much that they no longer have any meaning in our lives or we've lost some value because we've heard them so many times my prayer is we hear these words and when we come to terms with the fullness of the goodness that God has given to us it will evidence itself in our lives I've had the privilege just in the the last uh, year and a half uh, just under a year and a half, uh, to be serving uh, in Denison Baptist Church uh, in East End of Glasgow uh, as pastor. Um, and it's been a, quite an incredible journey for us uh, just to come to that place of, of being well supported and encouraged at, at Calderwood Baptist and then really sensing a call over a long period of time, but even just within the months leading up to us going to Denison, um, just really sensing that God was leading us to a place of being a part of that church. And we started with uh, seven members uh, in the church. So it's a pretty small church. Um, and it's been, been amazing just over the last year and a half just to see how God is, has been at work within the life of the church, just to be that physical presence within the community of Denison. You know, Denison is a, a very sort of mixed community. And there's a lot of indigenous people. People have grown up in that community for a long time. There's a lot of refugees and asylum seekers. There's also a lot of students and young professionals. So it's very mixed and it's also very transient. There's people who are coming and going constantly within the community. And over the last year and a half, we have just been seeking God's face. And we've been asking the question, you know, God, how, how is it that you're calling us to be a light and to be a witness within this community? And we've been so encouraged just over the last year and a half. When we first started, we were getting about 11 or 12 on a Sunday morning. And we've doubled in size and within that time. We're getting about 24, 25. And we've seen people just being a part of the life of the church, both within the community and also outside the community. But there's also been great opportunities for us to reach people who are desperate, who are in, in great need. And one of the things that we're doing is is working with refugees and asylum seekers. Uh, We do an ESO class uh, on a Tuesday and I pretend to be an ESO teacher for two hours. Um, And it's been amazing just to see so many people coming along and being a part of that. 
But you also get, and you'll probably get it here in Hamilton as well, just random people from the community uh, turning up in need and really seeking help for a particular situation. And we had a family uh, coming along to the church who just turned up on a Friday afternoon uh, looking for clothes. This family were from Afghanistan. Uh, they'd fled the Taliban and they'd basically fled to the UK as asylum seekers. And they were, trying, they were called to, to come to Denison through another agency uh, because this other agency were aware of the fact that we had a charity shop within the community. And so they thought to themselves, well, Denison Baptist might be able to help in terms of providing clothes and different things. And so we took them to the charity shop. And it was fascinating just to, to watch this family. They were so just overwhelmed by the opportunity of just taking different things from the shop. We just said to them, take whatever you need. And so they spent about half an hour within the shop. We just closed the door and we just gave them free reign in the shop just to take whatever clothes they needed. And about halfway through, about 15 minutes in, I was thinking to myself, and I think it's something that we all process in our heads when we're trying to help someone. Are these guys legitimate? You know, am I helping someone who is in real need? Because they seem to be picking up absolutely everything in the shop. But it kind of helped us in a way because our shop is a bit of a mess. There's just so much stuff um, within that, that shop. But just as we were doing that, as I was just debating that in my head, I was just asking a question, should I, I say to them, okay, that's enough? And it just kind of brought me back to this passage. And it just brought me back to this idea of, of all the different ways in which God demonstrates his goodness. And it made me realise, you know, God has blessed me. When I think of Ephesians chapter 1 and I see all the different blessings that he gives to me, in some small way I can replicate that by inviting this family to this charity shop and saying to them, take whatever you need. And so they had the opportunity to take clothes, jackets, things for the kitchen, things for the house. And it was really for me just a, a helpful gospel picture. And I was able to share the gospel later on with this family. And I'm still praying for them. But you'll find in your own life as well, there are so many moments that God gives to us, which I would call gospel moments. God uses different situations. And I would ask just that you would have your gospel radar on and just be sensitive to all that God is saying and the different relationships and opportunities that you have. How can you be a tangible and practical blessing to other people so that you might be able to share the gospel to that particular person? So that's the third point, uh, is goodness. And finally, uh, we're going to look at the, the fourth point, uh, our final understanding of what it means to love people as much as we love ourselves should translate in the gladness, the gladness or the joy that we have towards our people. So in particular, the gladness that God has for each one of us should flow into the gladness that we have for other people. The gladness that God has for me should flow into the gladness that I have for other people. Which quite simply means that God calls us to see people the way that God sees them. God calls us to see people the way that God sees them. And this is what we read about in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. The prophet Zephaniah says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. 
Such a, a beautiful verse. God rejoices over each one of us because he sees who we are and who it is that we are all becoming because of the work of God within our lives. God delights and God rejoices over you and I. That's an amazing concept for us to ponder tonight. God delights and God rejoices over each one of us. And it's not because of anything within us. It's not because of what Mark Morris has achieved. It's because of who we are in. We are all in Christ. And because we are in Christ, God delights in us. You see, God looks at each one of us. And if we have faith in Christ tonight, he sees Jesus. You know, I love that truth, this idea of God delighting in me. I find it very difficult to demonstrate gladness towards people who are difficult to love and who are difficult to show favour and compassion towards. I've got a friend who is just someone who's full of grace, who just really amazes me just in the way in which they respond to a number of different situations. And I love just one of the, the phrases for you is we don't talk about believers and non-believers. We talk about believers and not yet believers. And we do so because we see people as God sees them. They delight in that person and they have hope for every person that they come into contact with. They really do believe that God can do a work in every single person that they meet day to day. So that's my challenge for you tonight. Pick a person in your life. Probably pick a person that that you really struggle with. Maybe it's a person that you've been thinking about before. And list all the reasons why you're thankful for them. So pick a difficult person in your life and list all the reasons why you're thankful for them. And if you can't come up with any reason as to why you're thankful for that person, don't worry, you're heading in the right direction. God is bringing you to a place where you see that person as God sees them. God demonstrates his gladness towards us. And when we see the gladness that has been shown us, it should cause us to be glad towards other people. This is the one point that really does challenge our hearts. You know, to, to some extent, we can show grace, we can show generosity, and we can show goodness without being wholehearted. But to show gladness towards another person, it involves our whole heart. It means we give our absolute all. We really do love that person as much as we love ourselves. So that's my challenge. That's a challenge for me tonight. That's a challenge uh, for each one of us. As we think about what it is to love people as ourselves, let us be a people who are full of grace, who are full of generosity, who are full of goodness, and who are full of gladness towards ours. Let me pray, and then we're going to respond uh, and worship. Lord, we do thank you for, for your word. And Lord, we do know that, that your word is, is often a challenge to us. Lord, we sometimes look at your word and we say to ourselves, it's, it's impossible for us to do this. And yet, Lord, we also know that it is not on our own strength. It is by your spirit. And Lord, my prayer for each one of us tonight 
as we go into this week. My prayer is, Lord, that we would be a people who are completely dependent upon your Holy Spirit. Lord, I ask that we would wake up tomorrow morning with a desire to read your word, with a desire to pray. And Lord, we would practice that discipline day by day. Not out of a sense of duty, but Lord, out of a, a genuine delight in who you are and a desire to be used by you in the different relationships that you've given to us. And so, Lord, we see your call, the call that you have placed upon our lives to love other people. And Lord, we come before this passage and we want to say yes tonight. We want to say, yes, we will follow your call and we will be obedient children. And so would you speak to us tonight and would you transform us? In Jesus' name, amen.